Well, good, good morning. Um, can you all hear me? I think I'm all turned on up here. Good deal. Well, um, I have a just a quick word I would want to say to you as I stand up here. I, I have stood up here before, um, and I just want to say that this morning, uh, before I begin the sermon, I want to say that this is a very sweet privilege to preach here today. Um, it is always a privilege to preach, but there are some places that are just sweeter to preach than than others. And um, this is a sweet place for me to preach. In fact, I just see you guys all out there, and I just want to reach out and give most of you a big old hug and kiss. And, and some of you who don't know me and don't understand the backstory, that would be really weird. So we're just going to let that go. This church was a comfort to us and our family when we needed comfort. It was a support to us when we felt like we were falling and we didn't know where we were heading. And God has used this congregation and Pastor Doug to bless us. And I just want to encourage you to continue doing what you do and have done so well for my family. So, thank you. And I just want to praise God this morning for you all. It might come to a surprise to you, but yours truly does not run. In fact, I am quite allergic to it. Um, it is a rare condition, but as I start running, my heart rate elevates. I start sweating profusely. My muscles start to cramp, and I start going cross-eyed, and it's just an ugly thing. I have yet to convince any doctor of that yet, but... I am still, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. But I have started walking in the last year or two, and now I've started to jog every so often as I'm on my run, just to increase my pace and to get my heart rate up. And just two weeks ago, <clears throat> I just want to share this celebration with you. Just two weeks ago, I ran 0.45 miles <laughs> consecutively, may I add. However, even though I do not run and know a lot about running, I do know a little bit. And I know that it is hard, it is tiring, and it is painful. I also know that when people run for long distances and for competitions along the route, there are usually checkpoints along the way. And these designated areas um, have folks who will hand out water to the runners um, they are also there to any offer anything that that runner might need. Has anyone ever experienced one of those checkpoints before? All right. So, so what I am saying is true. I'm just, okay. I told you, I don't know a lot, but I do know that. Today, I see myself as a roadside assistant addressing people who have been running the Christian race. This race is like running. It's hard. It's painful. It's tiring. It wears on you. It is not easy. And this morning, I want to hand you some spiritual water prepared and revealed for you by our Father in, in heaven. So let us turn to Romans 8, and we will begin reading at verse 31. Romans 8, 31. As you're turning there, I'm going to let you know that I have, this particular passage of scripture was dear to me as I was in my later adolescence. It became a core of who I was in my faith. And over the years, 
I have not forgotten it, but just moved on and have, have thought about other things. And a couple of months ago, I heard a preacher preach about the victorious Christian living. And all of the things that God had taught me through this passage of Scripture came back, and I was strengthened. And I just wanted to strengthen you this morning with the truths from this passage. So Romans chapter 8, verse 31, we read from God's Word. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God, and may he write these eternal truths on the table of our hearts. And I'm here to tell you this morning that living as a child of God in this world can be defeating, it can be hard and tiring. But God loves us, and because God loves us, we can live victoriously over the difficulties of this world. God did not send his son Jesus Christ he did not send his Holy Spirit to indwell us to live defeated Christian lives. He wanted us to live victorious. And as Paul says, he wanted us to live as more than conquerors. Today in this passage, we see that the world that we live in is difficult. This passage tells us that we have enemies now, Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions. If you turn back to verse 31, we're asked the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? The rhetorical question there at the end, who can be against us? Paul is not asking the question to say that there is no one who's going to be against us. The question is asked rhetorically. When someone is against us, to what use are they? When someone is against us, are they ultimately going to come and have victory over us? Look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Once again, Paul's not assuming that no one's going to accuse us. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've been accused of things. Maybe rightfully, maybe wrongfully. Paul's not assuming that there won't be any accusations but those accusations from those people won't amount to anything. In verse 34, the question is asked, who is there to condemn? 
Has anyone here had someone come against you, not only to accuse you, but to condemn you as well? Paul is admitting here in this passage that there is difficult times in the world, and we have enemies, enemies who will bring opposition, enemies against us who will bring accusations, enemies who are against us who will bring condemnation. Many of us have experienced those things in our lives, but more than earthly human enemies, I want you to know, and you know this very well, but I want to remind you today that we have an, a main enemy, and his name is Satan. He is an enemy that is an accuser. Revelation chapter 10, verse 12, we are told that he sits there in heaven waiting to accuse us. That's what he did with Job, was it not? Have you considered my servant Job, God asks. Well, the only reason Job serves you is because you've been good to him. We have an enemy who is an accuser who will accuse us before the Father. We have an enemy who is called a thief. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus calls Satan the thief. And the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. We're also told that our enemy, Satan, is a lion. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. We're told that he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Brothers and sisters, in this Christian walk, in this Christian life, we have a target on our back. We are never promised ease, but we have someone who's coming after us playing full court press. And I hate full court press. If you've ever played against it, it's not very fun. You have an enemy who is against you. But not only do we have an enemy who is against us, we have troubles, trials, and tribulations. In verse uh, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? There are things in this life that are just hard. There are circumstances in life that you come into, and they're just difficult. And you don't mean to run into them. You don't plan to run into them, but they seem to find you. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he tells his disciples very clearly, very plainly, not, not, not metaphorically. Not, there's no, there, there's, it's crystal clear. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. We have trials, tribulations, and troubles. But we also live in a world where we have a remaining sin nature. Now, not in our text immediately, but if you just were to slip over at the beginning part of chapter 8 of Romans and look at verses 12 and 13, Paul's going to identify this thing called the flesh. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul says there's, there's, things that, there's this thing inside of us, even though we have been saved, even though that we have been born again, the sin nature still is there. How many of you have been fighting the sin nature that still dwells inside of you? It is hard to walk the Christian walk and to live the Christian life with this thing called the flesh hanging around. I don't want to yell at my kids, but my flesh is still there. 
I don't want to neglect my wife when I come home, but I do because I want to do what I want to do sometimes. It would have been really nice for an amen to know that I wasn't alone (laughs) in this. No, I know it. I know it. We have an enemy. We have troubles, trials, tribulations, and we have a remaining sin nature. And these three things are enough to make the Christian life very difficult to walk. It's hard. And some of you guys have been walking for a long time following Jesus. Some of you, your lifetime. And it's not gotten any easier. And you're finding, you're facing troubles and trials and tribulations. You're fighting, you're, you're fighting the good fight of the faith and you're just getting hard. Some of you have been battling the sin nature and that, the, the things that are just inside of you that, that need to be sanctified and you just, you're, you're getting tired. And this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to hold out that cup of water and say, but God has saved you to live in victory over these difficulties. You and I, we have a God who loves us. And because he loves us, we can have victories over the difficulties of this life. You see, we're told in this passage that victorious living is possible. Romans 8, 37. No, in all of these things, we are what? More than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Living in victory is not merely a pie-in-the-sky wish, brothers and sisters. It's not just something that, that we think could possibly happen and if the, all the planets and the stars were aligned just right and we might be able to live victoriously. Living in victory through the difficulties of this life is possible. And how is it possible? Well, it is not possible because of you and me. It's not possible because you have the latest 12-step program or the latest greatest self help book. Paul says that our help and our victory comes from one place, through him who loved us. You see, victorious living is possible through him who loved us, God the Father. You see, David understood this way back in the Old Testament as he was facing Goliath. He knew that his strength and his military prowess were not what was going to win the battle. I just want to read this passage of Scripture as David is facing Goliath. Here is a picture of a man who understands that victory is possible not through his own strength, but through God. 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you want to turn there, you can. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45 through 47. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you, how? In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down. I will cut off your head. I will give, you the, dead bo- I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all of this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with the sword and spear. Why? For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. 
Victorious living begins with understanding that it is God who works through us and gives us the victory. It is God who is the one who is, who is, who is going to make it happen. Yes, there's a responsibility. Yes, we need to run. Yes, we need to fight. Yes, we need to be pressing towards the mark. But it is God who is working through us. And it is through his power that we have victory in this life. But victory is not only possible because of him who loved us, the God the Father. But it's also possible because Jesus is praying for us. Did you catch that back in Romans chapter 8? Verse number 34. Who then is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised from the dead, who is now at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. How many of you have a prayer warrior in your life and when they tell you you're praying, they're praying for you, you're just happy that they're doing it? Do you know that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus, Emmanuel, the Lamb of God, is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you? He is praying for you, the best prayer warrior ever. And you can have victory in your life, and you can continue running the Christian race in faithfulness and victory because Jesus is praying for you. That is extremely encouraging but it's not only possible because of God the Father and the prayer of Jesus Christ, it's also because we have the Spirit who dwells in us. Once again, it's not in this text, but we go to verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Verse number 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. God has given you and placed inside of you, if you are his child today, he has given you his spirit. And it is through, the, it is through God, it is through the Christ, it is through the Holy Spirit, all of these, the Trinity. Amazing how that is. The Trinity is, is there working to help us live victorious Christian lives, to help us get through the difficulties and not succumb to the hardships that press us. So victorious living, brothers and sisters, it's possible. It's not just, it's not just a hypothetical situation. It's a reality that God has made possible. But the other thing we learn from this passage is that victorious living rests in the gospel. I appreciate the words of C.J. Mahaney in his book, The Cross-Centered Life. I don't know if you can still get it. I think they put it into another book called Cross-Centered Living. But he wrote this book, C.J. Mahaney wrote this book, Cross-Centered Life. And I read it so many years ago. And he used a house uh, as a metaphor to describe the Christian life. And he made the point. He said, the gospel... The good news of Jesus Christ is not merely the front door that allows people to enter into the house. And let me tell you this. There are some people who believe that the gospel message is just merely the front door that you walk through to enter into this thing we call Christianity. It's the shallow end of the pool, I've heard it called. But rather, C.J. Mahaney makes the argument that the gospel isn't the front door 
that just lets you in. But rather, it's the foundation for the whole house. And it doesn't matter where you go in your Christian doctrine or your Christian practice. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is there supporting you wherever you go. And so as we think about living the the victorious Christian life, the gospel is where victory rests. And we see this truth as Paul speaks about being more than conquerors over the difficulties that we encounter as brothers and sisters and as Christ followers. So I'm just going to leave, I want to just read through this and I want to give you some gospel truth. One, I want you to know God is for you. If you are his child, God is for you. Let that sink in. It seems simple. But listen to the question. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. He is there in your corner. Like Mickey to Rocky. He's in your corner. He is for you. He's not against you. And when things are hard and when things are rough, he is there. He is there for you. And how do you know he is there for you? Just look up to verse 29. Well, let's look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. How do you know God is for you? Listen to this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God went through a lot of divine trouble to make you his child. And God is for you today. Satan would love for you to look at your circumstances and say, God, Why have you forsaken me? Where are you? But God is for you, brothers and sisters. Don't lose sight of that. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Gospel truth number two. God has justified you. Now, it is Reformation Sunday. And my pastor made it very clear. He said, don't go there and not preach something about the Reformation. So, justification here you go i had already had, i said dude my 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 sermon's already written <laughs> he goes well think of something so here we are justification verse number 33 who shall bring any charge against god's elect it is god who justifies i know it's reformation sunday and we love justification i know we love what it is and what it means but paul's focus here is not what justification is Paul's focus is who is the one doing the justifying. It is God who is justified. Yes, we are justified and we are declared righteous, but the power of this truth comes from the person behind the justification. The God who spoke the world into existence. The God who created humanity after his likeness. The God who is above all creation. The God who holds all mankind accountable for their actions. The God whose holiness and justice caused his wrath against sin. The God who judged Israel, Assyria, Babylon, and everyone in between and and, and their forward. The God who sent his son into the world to save sinners. That God, 
The God of the Bible is the one who has declared you righteous. And there is no other higher person there that can condemn you. There is no higher appeals court that Satan can accuse you to. Once God says you have been justified and you've been made right in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, there's no one else to make an argument against him. So as you feel condemned and accused, remember it is God who justifies. Number three. Jesus Christ died for us. Number four, Jesus Christ was raised for us. Number five, Jesus Christ prays for us, as we already have talked about. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, his ascension into heaven. This is good news. And our Christian life must rest in this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says, listen, I need to remind you of something. Don't forget this. The primary numero uno thing that you must remember is that Christ died for your sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again in accordance with Scripture, and that he was seen by Cephas and all the other dudes that were there and all the other women. He says this is key to understanding and living in Christ. So that leads us to, to number six. Jesus loves us. Verse 35. Who then shall separate us from the love of God? I don't know what your family devotions look like. Ours never end well when we try to make them into a big thing. So what we do is we pray and we sing at night. And I'll tell you what. There's no sweeter thing than to have your child look at you and say, I want to sing Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but what? He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. This is, a, this is something that should grip our attention, that should grab our, um, grip our fascination, our imagination, Jesus loves us. It is a sweet thing. How, it's easy to get bogged down in some other stuff and other things, but oh, the sweet truth that Jesus loves us. And there's nothing that can separate us from that. Number eight. Oh, that's my next thing. Uh, well, no, n- number 37. God loves us. I want to remind you this morning that not only is God for you, he's for you because he loves you. John Frame, in his, in his systematic theology book, orchestrates all of God's goodness, and he, he just makes the point that all of God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, all of those wonderful blessings that we love to sing about and we love to praise God about, all of those come from the fountain of his love. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and I just don't want you to know that God is for you today. I want you to know that God loves you today. And some of you need to be reminded that God loves you. Jesus loves you. God loves you. And then lastly, the gospel truth here is that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. Verse number 39. Well, let's learn verse 38. For I am sure, I am certain I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Is this not a sweet security? When you're battling the enemy, when you're battling your troubles, trials, and tribulations, when you're battling the flesh, it is wonderful to know that nothing can separate us from God's love. Listen, there's a lot of stuff that comes against us, and Satan would love for us to, under, or to think that God would no longer love us if we did this thing or that thing. God would no longer love us if we, if we got into this trouble or to that trouble. Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I just want to remind you today, God loves you, Jesus loves you, and nothing can separate us from those things. So, what does this mean for us today? Hold on, let me get my notes right here. Oh, sorry. My fault. Stapled them the wrong way. <clears throat> All of these truths are fuel for the victorious... I knew, there, I knew there was more notes there. I got to the end, I'm like, I'm not ready to close yet. All right. All of these truths are fuel for victorious living. When times get difficult, when the enemy presses hard, when your flesh seems to be choking out the spirit, rehearse these truths. Go back through these truths over and over again. Seek out other gospel truths to fight back and resist the devil. Do you know the promise that if we resist the devil, he will leave us for a season? Resist. Don't give in. If you lose sight of these glorious gospel truths, you will be defeated. You will give up. You will lose heart. You will sink, you will fall prey. So lift up your eyes today and focus them on the eternal horizon of the gospel. Know the gospel. Love the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself continually. Don't let the enemy take your focus off of what is foundational to your Christian life. Now, what does victorious Christian living look like? We know that it's possible. We know that it rests in the gospel, but what in the world does it look like? Victorious living is believing God over the difficulties. It's believing God over the deception of our enemy. When the enemy comes to you in your daily walk, and he says that we are too small to defeat him, when he says that you are too weak too powerless to engage him. Victorious Christian living looks like this. We say, I know, but greater is he that is inside of me than he who is in the world. When the enemy accuses us of our sins and our failures, which there are many, we say to him, that's great, that's fine, whoop-dee-doo. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When Satan tells you that God could never forgive you for this sin or that sin, we look at him and we say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When the enemy tells us that we are good enough on our own and we don't need God, and when we need, and, and, and we say to him, look, God tells us that he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Victorious living is not believing the deception of our enemy, but resting on the promises of God. When you have troubles, 
You say yes, John 16, 36. In this world, there w- you will have troubles. But what was the second part that Jesus said? But I give you my peace. I know there's troubles, but there's peace that I can have here too. So, Christian living looks like that. Christian living also looks like when we face difficulties and they come, instead of falling prey to them, or instead of losing sight and becoming anxiety-ridden, when difficulties come and hide the goodness of God, victorious living uh, believes all things work together for our good. When difficulties wear us down and we don't think we can make it, we cast our cares on God because He cares for us. We rest knowing God's grace is sufficient. When we are facing the troubles that Jesus promised in John 16, 33, we rest in the peace that he gives to us. When our flesh grows strong and the temptation um, comes our way, we resist it. We fight against it. We put off the old man and put on the new. We no longer live after the flesh, but we live and are led by the Spirit. We follow the Spirit's lead who dwells in us rather than the passions that burn inside. Victorious living may fall to temptation, but it gets back up and starts running again. This morning, I want you to know, and I want you to be just as convinced as Paul, that because God loves you, you can live victoriously over the difficulties that you're facing today. And this week, and the ones that you have yet to come. God loves you, and because he loves you, you can live victoriously over the difficulties. So, I'm going to ask everyone to stand this morning, and we're going to pray. We're going to praise God for his love for us, and I'm just going to pray a blessing of protection over us, because Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, and, and deliver us from evil. So let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I come to you today. Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture from the Apostle Paul, who was convinced that you loved us. I pray right now, I don't know what the difficulties that this congregation is facing. I don't know what each individual is facing. I don't know what the enemy is doing. I don't know what their troubles, trials, and tribulations are. I don't know what fleshly desires they're they're fighting. But Lord, I pray right now that you would give them victory and that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would take these truths of your love of your eternal security, the love of Christ, the spirit that's dwelling inside of them. And I pray, Lord, that they would take these wonderful cups of your word and be refreshed refreshed, so they can continue running. Lord, I pray that those, um, those who have fallen would get back up again and rest in your unchanging grace. And when Satan tempts them to despair, I pray that they would look above, Lord, and see their name written on your hands. I pray that your love would fill us all and empower us all as we move forward, as we want to serve you. In Jesus Christ, we ask these things, and I ask these on the benefit of my brothers and my sisters here at this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.